Hi, listeners. This is Megan Lamberth, a researcher on the technology and national security team at the Center for a New American Security. If you've been following the news lately, you've likely seen or read about the executive order signed by President Trump, which moves to ban U.S. telecommunications companies from installing foreign-made equipment that could, one, pose an undue risk of sabotage or subversion of U.S. information and communications technology, to pose a risk to the security of American critical infrastructure or the digital economy, and lastly, any foreign-made equipment that could pose a, quote, unacceptable risk to the national security of the United States. Over the next 150 days, the executive order instructs the Commerce Department to draft a set of regulations for reviewing transactions that fall under this executive order. Here to discuss the executive order and its wider national security and economic implications is Paul Shari, Senior Fellow and Director of the Technology and National Security Program here at the Center for a New American Security, and Elsa Kania, a CNAS Adjunct Senior Fellow and an expert on Chinese military innovation as well as 5G technology and infrastructure. Thank you, Paul and Elsa, for joining the podcast today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks. To start, I'd just be interested in your initial reactions to the executive order. What does it get right? In what ways is it weak? Um, so Elsa, how about we start with your thoughts? Sure. So the way I would describe it, I think the executive order was a necessary measure and one that was a long time in coming. It's been anticipated for quite a while, but it seems to have been delayed given talks on trade and otherwise. And I think it does provide important authorities for the U.S. government to be able to exclude vendors who are of concern uh, when it comes to the security of our critical infrastructure. So I think the focus, uh, the broad concentration on how we ensure the security of supply chains for our information and communications technology ecosystem is absolutely inevitable or absolutely essential. That, That being said, I think the executive order also represents a missed opportunity to make a stronger argument here. And I have some concerns and reservations about the way it was framed. I think in particular the focus on looking at the category of foreign adversaries as the main way of framing these concerns. And I think certainly I'm not naive about the competitive challenge China poses as a potential adversary, but I think the focus in this regard really represents a chance lost to articulate more specifically what are the criteria and what are the reasons why we don't think Chinese companies should be in our critical infrastructure. A lot of the systemic concerns that uh, arise from the nature of the Chinese Communist Party and how they approach intelligence, the ways in which the Chinese government clearly is uh, above the law in many respects, and, and meanwhile its own intelligence law provides a legal basis for seemingly compelling Chinese companies to cooperate in intelligence work. So there is no shortage of reasons for concern, but I think the executive order could have been, could have set a stronger precedent that I hope our allies and partners would follow if we had looked at the, what, uh, what some U.S. government officials are starting to call a risk-based security framework and put that front and center, rather than talking about con- our concerns over foreign adversaries, which may not be shared by allies and partners who may see some of the countries and companies in question rather differently or who may have their own their own geopolitical perspectives on this. So I think focusing on security concerns that are shared rather than framing it and using the language and discourse that did come into play is uh, definitely a w- weaker argument than could have been made if we're trying to look for ways to move forward and get allies and partners on board and having more of a shared approach to 5G security overall. Great. Thanks, Elsa. Paul, what is your assessment of the executive order? 
Well, I'm, I'm excited to see this finally out there. Um, as Elsa had said, you know, we've been waiting to see this executive order published for months. It's been rumored. It's been in development. And the, the rumors and the perception, at least, was that it had been on ice waiting for the trade talks to come to some resolution. Now we're, we're past that. We see that they've, they've fallen apart. We're now uh, in a you know, pretty heated trade war with China. And so concerns about uh, upsetting China about this are no longer a motivation for holding back. And the U.S. can finally take the right step here um, to put security for 5G first. Now, as a practical matter, this is going to have very little impact on major Chinese companies like Huawei and ZTE operating in the United States because they've already been de facto excluded from major U.S. carriers. Um, although this may have an impact on, this certainly will have an impact, I should say, on rural carriers um, and their ability to use Chinese companies as they begin to then move from 4G to 5G. Um, and so we'll have to see exactly how that plays out in terms of how uh, the U.S. government implements this. But I think the more important role here is that this is this is largely symbolic, um, but it's an important symbolic step to take because what the U.S. government has been doing for the past several months is putting pressure on allies to ban Chinese companies like Huawei from operating their 5G networks without having taken that step itself. And, you know, quite, quite reasonably, other countries have been frustrated with the U.S. saying, look, you're telling us to do this. This is going to upset China. We know that they'll retaliate. We've already seen, in fact, um, some immediate retaliation from China in response to this um, within the first 24 hours after this executive order came out. And, um, and countries saying, you're not willing to do this yourself. So I think it's an important step that the U.S. Uh, went ahead release this executive order, this will lay the foundations for a ban. That'll give top cover to allies to take stronger steps against um, Chinese companies operating inside their networks. And what's particularly interesting is it doesn't say China anywhere in here. Um, so, so it actually gives very broad authorities that might apply in other settings as well. Um, and so we'll have to see how that plays out in the years ahead. Yeah, I agree, Paul. I don't think we should have Chinese companies in our critical infrastructure for all of these systemic concerns we've been discussing. But I do think if we're trying to get allies and partners on board and to really work to build consensus on these issues, I think framing the executive order differently in terms of the language, in terms of the justification, could have made a more compelling argument that uh, yeah, could have hopefully cut through some of the circularity of the conversation so far. And I think it is important, as you mentioned, that the executive order does not talk about China and does not talk about Huawei, because frankly, I think we've thought and been debating far too much about Huawei and not, not nearly enough about how we think about the overarching implications of 5G for the security of our critical infrastructure going forward. And as the uh, executive order and as recent uh, statements from officials have highlighted, this is not simply a matter of espionage. It's really a matter of risks of sabotage or disruption that could, could really do a lot of damage. And I think given the stakes here, 5G merits much more extensive scrutiny in order to ensure it will be secure by design from the start. And because of that, I think we can't only focus on vendors from countries that we consider to be foreign adversaries. I think we have to look at all vendors and all carriers because there's been a lot of talk about backdoors, a lot of concerns about Huawei's intentions, which uh, I certainly, I think there are a lot of reasons to be concerned about Huawei, not to mention 
their history of uh, interactions with the Chinese military and intelligence a- agencies, am- among others, not to... M- not to mention their track record of poor corporate governance in some cases, including instances of corruption and linkage to cases of espionage serving as a cover for Chinese intelligence uh, operatives uh, overseas and otherwise. So I think Huawei clearly is a major concern, but I think the same, I think we're not going to find a single smoking gun in this case. I think it's much more about how we think about the bugs or flaws that are perhaps inevitable when we're talking about complex systems and ways in which a range of hostile actors could exploit them. So I think the fact that the executive order focuses so much on vendors associated with foreign adversaries uh, does, does result in some major gaps when we think about the fact that companies coming from our allies and partners, those coming from nations we tend to trust more, could equally have similar vulnerabilities that could be exploited by a, by a threat actor going forward. So I think having a much more uniform and standardized approach to scrutiny and applying standards of security to the whole ecosystem is important because I think at this point it's uh, less likely the Chinese military would try to leverage Huawei for an attack than that they would tar- try to target or leverage a company that no one has heard of that has not been part of the conversation or a company that is has been much less uh, subject to similar screening because we are less uh, less inclined to distrust it. So I think we should be starting from a perspective of distrust and assume that there will be flaws and think about how we mitigate and manage risk from the start as we're, uh, as we're moving towards working and deploying 5G and sustain that scrutiny and that security through all stages of managing 5G networks. So I think the executive order in some respects is a good start in terms of having those authorities and the ability to look at the whole supply chain and ecosystem, but I think a lot will depend on implementation and how this whole process evolves going forward. Well, I think, I don't know, I think there are two different issues here. Um, And I do think that the executive order rightly focuses on the systemic risk from Chinese companies because you have concerns about specific security flaws, bugs in the code. And I actually think the U.S. government has, has badly mismanaged the diplomatic conversations here by framing it in that way. And it's led countries to say, well, show me the back door, show me the smoking gun. And that's not really the issue. Now, there are plenty of allegations about shoddy security code in Huawei equipment, um, but the issue isn't really that Huawei doesn't program well enough. Um, The issue is the degree of leverage that the Chinese government would have over them or any other Chinese company and their ability to compel them to exfiltrate data, to assist in surveillance, or um, to just turn off a network in a potential crisis or conflict in the future as a point of leverage. Those are systemic concerns that are exactly about the country of origin. So while this doesn't get you everything you need to do to have secure 5G systems, um, you could have obviously, uh, equipment that's built in other countries that are not China, um, where we trust, you know, the intentions of the vendor, but maybe they, you know, they still haven't done a good enough due diligence in cybersecurity flaws. You've got to do that too. Um, what this EO really gets at is these systemic risks of coming from a country like China, and I think that the EO does that well. Now, the language of calling out adversary countries that might be a bit inartful language. I suspect we won't see others do that. Um, but I think this is actually a really critical component of the approach we would like to see other countries take, which is focus on these systemic risks that come from countries that 
have a history of cyber espionage that don't have rule of law protections in place to protect companies from uh, the government coercing and compelling them to do so. Absolutely. And I think, I think we agree on a lot of this. And I think one, dis one perhaps subtle distinction would be whether nation of origin as a source of systemic risks should be front and center in the conversation or whether it should be framed as one element of, a, of an array of criteria or standards, and many of which may relate to or stem from those considerations of nation of origin, but without, a spe without particularly defining, for instance, Chinese companies as the main vector of concern. And I say that in part because I think what constitutes a Chinese company in some cases may become more opaque or obfuscated deliberately going forward. And it's interesting, the language in the executive order talks about uh, information and communications technology or services designed, developed, manufactured, or supplied by persons owned by, controlled by, or subject to the jurisdiction and direction of a foreign adversary. And there are a lot of, uh, lot of moving pieces in that, uh, in, in that uh, qualification. And I think in, in some cases, we may see companies that do not appear to be Chinese that do ultimately have some influence or control going back to Beijing one way or another that are, yeah, I think, the complexity of assessing how we look at the range of ways in which, uh, whether it's shell companies or subsidiaries uh, or simply elements of an American company supply chain that are, that are made in China, I think there's definitely quite a, quite a spectrum of risk factors here. And I think there's definitely a lot of complexity. And I think... Uh, it'll be important going forward to really improve our situational awareness of our overall supply chain. And I think that the executive order does, uh, does good work there in terms of putting that front and center. Also, Paul, many thanks for your assessment. And shifting the conversation a bit, uh, around the same time that the executive order was signed, the Commerce Department announced that it was adding Huawei to its entity list, which effectively bans it from acquiring technology and components from U.S. companies without approval from the U.S. government. I'd be interested in your initial reactions, how this relates to the executive order, um, if you think this was a good move, just your initial thoughts. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, in many ways, a much more consequential act for Huawei in particular, um, because they, they were not already a major player in the U.S. market. Um, a lot of this will depend upon how commerce puts this into action. This gives the government quite a bit of flexibility in terms of how they implement this. But in principle, um, this could really um, put a lot of pressure on the company if they move to aggressively ban U.S. companies from then exporting any kind of tech to Huawei that might limit them from including U.S. technology in various devices or technology that Huawei puts on the market. I think it's unlikely to be a coincidence that these measures happen to come out on the same day. And clearly there is a level of linkage to moving in new directions in these a bu building upon long-standing concerns that have motivated U.S. policy for quite a while. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because this addition of Huawei to the entity list does have the potential to do much more damage to the company given that they have continued to a certain degree to rely upon some American suppliers. And conversely, some of the American companies that have uh, profited from doing business with Huawei could see some, some damage if they are denied licenses to continue to export to Huawei. So there, it'll definitely, the enforcement will matter tremendously here. And I think unlike the case of ZTE back in uh, 2016 and the measures later reversed in 2017, I think Huawei may be better prepared. That initial measure brought ZTE to its knees, more or less, and really provoked a, 
redoubling by the, by the Chinese government of their efforts to promote indigenous innovation with a focus on self-reliance, on, in Xi Jinping's words, seizing the key and core technologies in our own hands. So I think this measure, again, with all the symbolism of it, given that, uh, g given the backdrop of the trade war and otherwise, will, if anything, provoke a redoubling by the Chinese government and Chinese companies in seeking greater independence uh, uh, from any reliance on American suppliers that could be seen as a vulnerability in some respects, depending on how things play out. This could contribute to a further fragmentation of supply chains and new ways and I think but I don't think Huawei will be destroyed by this this may, may this may damage them it may prove costly but I would guess given that there has been concern of this for a while and given the history of measures ZTE that they've been prepared and they've they have continued to build up their own their own capabilities including by high silicon on ships semiconductors and, and other critical components I mean there's a certain irony here which is to say that well, clearly, certain members of the Trump administration are interested in using these kinds of tools, as well as tariffs and others, to begin to decouple elements of the U.S. and Chinese economy. As you begin to do so, um, that does take away some of these points of leverage over Chinese companies. Um, and so to the extent that they you know, are able to move off of American components, um, you lose less leverage uh, to wield against these companies. So I think we'll see to what extent um, this becomes a mechanism for greater decoupling or something more like a coercive tool that is for um, you know, sort of more, more conditional behavior shaping for companies, much like how the ZTE incident ended up um, with uh, uh, the Trump administration eventually rescinding the ban but levying some pretty heavy fines and other penalties against ZTE. I think that's a really good note to end on. Um, and I'm sure this is just the beginning of our conversations on these issues. So thanks, Paul. Thanks also for joining the podcast today. And of course, thank you to all our listeners. Thank you. Thanks for having us.